Wheat harvesting is off to a good start in Mzanzi, and this week on Farmers Inside Track, we share a few insider tricks and tips when it comes to marketing your grain crop. The why and the how. Southern Cape farmers are being chastised for the illegal use of water, including the diversion of rivers, which the Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation has described as unacceptable. Agricultural legal expert Katleha Ngwane, also known as the legal Burmese, shares a few handy tips for up-and-coming farmers. We're back with Farms, Food and Future, powered by Andamat Madumbi. Our focus this week is on plant health and vitality, with Business Innovation Lead at Andamat Madumbi, Dr. Brendan Newman. Minister Tokadidiza has vowed to support 13 black-owned wine brands currently trading from the new trading hub for black wine brand owners. She's described the new facility as a breakthrough moment in Mzanzi's wine industry. Mongani Shumba joins our Agripreneur 101 segment. Her compounded butter called My Butter is a testament of her love for gourmet cooking. And on top of our reading pile this week is a book titled The Science of Animal Agriculture by Ray Fear Heron. And our Farmer Tip of the Week comes from David Fincham, the director of David Fincham Aquaculture in Gauteng. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi and welcome to episode 101 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmer's Inside Track. I am Dornumdu, the editor for audience and engagement at South Africa's coolest agricultural news brand. I'll never get tired of saying that. And joining me is my co-host, Duncan Masiwa. It's great to be back, Dawn, and I can't wait for another loaded episode. And in fact, we'll get straight into it. Now, with wheat harvesting off to a good start in Mzanzi, journalist Nicole Ludov chats to Grain South Africa economist Ikacheng Maluleka about marketing your grain crop, the why and the how. Thank you so much, Dawn and Duncan. Now, Ikacheng, how would you define grain marketing to aspiring farmers who have just started their journey into the sector? One piece of advice that I would give to somebody who's still new in the grain sector would be to get a mentor or even join a small community of farmers or a program like Grain SA Farmer Development. This is where you will advance your knowledge share ideas as well as experiences. It is imperative that producers not make unnecessary mistakes, especially when starting out, and this can be mitigated by getting a strong support system. Where should aspiring grain farmers begin when planning their grain marketing? I would define marketing as the performance of all business activities involved in the flow of goods and services, in this case, grains, from the point of initial production until they are in the hands of the ultimate consumer. We can all understand that a producer has no control over the weather, nor do they have any influence over the amount of volatility in the markets. Therefore, grain marketing is a key factor in farm profitability and managing risk. Developing and implementing a comprehensive marketing strategy is a critical step towards establishing a profitable farming business. A marketing strategy will help you make rational marketing decisions, allowing you to manage price risk and improve market returns. To market successfully, a farmer needs to stay informed and remain flexible. Do you have any tips or general pieces of advice for a complete novice in the grain marketing sector? 
Producers need to understand that a successful marketing strategy requires a commitment to a unique marketing plan. So this is based on the farm's individual needs. Crucial to success is active involvement in all aspects of marketing, and this would include gathering market information, analyzing market trends, preparing a plan, and actually putting it into action. One needs to consider their financial position, cash flow needs, as well as their overall business goals. There are various direct marketing channels that are available to producers, which can be divided into two. So this is non-futures exchange and futures exchange marketing channels. Firstly, non-futures exchange marketing includes cash sales, storage, as well as forward contracts. Secondly, futures exchange marketing involves hedging futures or options on the South African futures exchange. The critical aspect of this whole thing is to stick with a preset marketing plan in a disciplined manner to avoid unnecessary price risk. Staying informed about the market will help ensure access to information needed to take advantage of price movements. The marketing plan should also be reviewed and revised on a regular basis as supply and demand conditions change. Producers should remember that there's no one-size-fits-all solution for everyone and therefore should look at their own business needs. Thanks, Nicole. And always great having you, Grain South Africa economist Ikacheng Maluleka. Now, for more information, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. Next up, Southern Cape farmers are being chastised for the illegal use of water, including the diversion of rivers, which the Department of Water Affairs and Sanitation has described as unacceptable. We're now joined by agricultural legal expert Katlejo Ngwane, also known as the legal Burumesi, to unpack this. Katlejo, more than 30 farmers in the Kleinkarua region between Otsuarung, George, Uniondale and Arist were issued with fines for the illegal use of water in these areas. Could you explain why these fines were issued? What the Department of Water and Sanitation has sent out is correct. So if we go backwards, there's the National Water Act, 36 of 1998, which basically nationalizes water in the sense that just because you have water running through your land does not mean that it belongs to you and therefore you have an automatic right to use that water. Same thing can be said for if you find gold on your land, you can't just mine it and then go ahead and sell it. You have to get a license. So same thing with the water. You must get a water use license or at least an entitlement to use the water from the Department of Water and Sanitation because, like I say, it's now almost being nationalized. It belongs to the government. It doesn't belong to a particular individual as it was before where you would buy land and if that land has a river or some water source running through it, it makes the land more valuable. That's not necessarily the case anymore. So that's the first point that we have to sort of start from. So obviously, if water doesn't belong to people and you can't just use it as you want without permission from the Department of Water, then obviously that means that anybody that's using water without that permission or those entitlements or a license to use that water, it means that they're using water illegally. And obviously that is now what is the department in the Klenkuru is talking about, that they're doing a blitz on that. And they have every right to do so because it's currently the law at the moment that nobody in agriculture, in any industry, mining, even government municipalities cannot use water without getting the relevant permissions from the Department of Water and Sanitation. 
And how do Mzanzi's farmers ensure that they adhere to the regulations you've mentioned? What are the legal requirements? It's sort of like a long story how to do it. It's an application that you do with the Department of Water and Sanitation. There's about 11 uses that the department recognizes in terms of what a water use license is or what you would want to use the water for. So regardless of what type of farmer you are, there will be something in those 11 uses where it applies to you and you have to apply for that particular license. But to keep it simple and to give you a simple example, crops. So let's say you grow maize, for example. So you're in agriculture, you grow maize. So the licenses that you would apply for is a license under Section 21A, which is a license to take water for irrigation purposes. And then let's say you want to build a dam and you want to store that water, you have to apply for a license again, which is a Section 21B, which is a license to store water. So basically, you could end up applying for two licenses, one to take water and one to store water, and therefore be able to construct a dam on your land. I actually do workshops for farmers to help them and to explain this new act and how it works and how the applications works and how they should do it. But as it currently stands right now in the law, it is illegal to use water unless the Department of Water and Sanitation has issued you with a license for that water. You can't just use the water. The only time you can use water without authorization from the department is if you're using it for domestic use. But we know that farmers don't use it for domestic uses, obviously for their farming operations. So it doesn't really count. And by the way, this also includes boreholes. So it's rivers, boreholes, runoff water, whatever, you know, it must all have a water use license or a general authorization from the Department of Water and Sanitation. Etleho, could you outline the National Water Act 36 of 1998 and how do farmers ensure they measure their water usage to avoid getting fined? In terms of water measurements, so the same act, the Water Act 36 of 98, specifies that use of water, so once you have the license and all of that, you must have meters to measure usage. And that's also, you have to. You can't just be pumping with no meter that you've installed to measure your use. Two, that measuring of the use, obviously, is because it makes it equitable for everybody because the department, when issuing you with a license, they will issue you also with the volume per year that you're allowed to take or to use of water, including how much you can use in summer, how much you can use in winter. As you know, different parts of the country have different rainfall patterns. One, two, if, you know, the Karoo is going through a drought like it is, then that changes the volumes as well. So the meters and the measurements of water help us manage all of that to get to a point that it's equitable use of water. Because at the end of the day, that is the point of the legislation of this National Water Act, that we have equitable and fair sharing of water keeping in mind and giving consideration to the fact that South Africa is a water-scarce country. Thanks for joining us, agricultural legal expert Katlejo Nguenya, also known as the Legal Buddha Mercy. Always great having you here on Farmers Inside Track. We now change gears from agricultural legal matters to plant health, and we're back with Farms, Food and Future, powered by Andamat Madumbi. This week, we're focusing on plant health and vitality with business innovation lead at Andamat Madumbi, Dr. Brendan Newman. Before we get started on today's topic, all around plant health and vitality, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? I grew up in Manzum Toti in KZN. 
I went to school in Durban and then at university I studied microbiology and plant pathology. I ended up specializing in that, in plant pathology particularly, and that's where I first sort of fell in love with the whole concept of biological control. So I actually did a lot of research on trichoderma, which is one of the organisms which animate metamestal cells today that we use to control different uh, root pathogens and stuff on crops. So I've been fortunate enough to end up in a career, which is exactly what I studied at university and, and what I specialized in. Oh, wow, that sounds amazing. Now, today we're talking about plant health and vitality and the importance of it. Maybe we can start with why is plant health and vitality so crucial for new farmers to achieve ultimate success when it comes to crop production? Ultimately, if you get good plant health or good plant vitality, you're going to end up with a plant that's a lot more resistant to any pests or diseases and even environmental stresses. I use the analogy very often to human health. If we're healthy, if we're eating a good diet, if we're exercising, we're getting good sleep, then we're naturally more resistant to all kinds of ailments and, and what have you. So I think it's very much the same with plants. If we can build a healthy base for the crop, then you just have so many less issues further down the line. You also find that if you've got better plant health and vitality, it's ultimately going to, should translate into yield. And yield's not always just about more. You know, more isn't always better. Sometimes it's also about, uh, you know, the quality of the crop um, and not just the quantity of crop you're getting. So ultimately that translates into financial returns, which is, you know, translates into the financial sustainability of a farming operation. If you're producing more of a better quality crop, you're going to get a premium price for your goods at the end of the day, and you're going to be able to you know, continue your farming operation longer. I think the other aspect sometimes that we maybe ignore a bit when we talk about plant health, it's not just about having a lack of pests and diseases. It's also important to look at the lack of harmful residues on the crop. Can we improve the nutrient density of the crop? So all those conversations tie in more to the overall plant health should also contribute towards food safety and better market access if you're trying to be producing for export markets or whatever, or for certain supermarkets where they've got stricter criteria. The food safety aspect is becoming more and more important these days. And how can farmers improve the overall health of the crop that builds stress tolerance and improves resilience? Sure, there's so many factors that can come in there. I think the most important thing is if you're talking about improving overall health and resilience, it's it's a holistic approach. There's not going to be any one solution or one product or you know there's no miracle cure i think the important thing is to start with a good foundation by that i mean you know the, the soil really is a good starting point and you need to make sure the soil is healthy it's alive there's all the beneficial microorganisms and lots of carbon and organic matter and everything in there that the plant wants that the soil is well balanced as well that it's got all the nutrients that the plant needs if the nutrients aren't there then you've got to try and you know look at correcting those balances again i'll come back to the analogy of human health you know if we if we're eating well we're getting all our vitamins and everything through our diet then then there's so much less problems that we need to then take corrective medicines for or whatever so you know some of the stuff we do at andamat madumbi is, is things like silicon there's plenty of silicon available in the in this in almost all soil but it's not plant available and for many years we forgot about silica and the importance of it it's only fairly recently that it's been highlighted again and and producers are starting to recognize the value of it so there's various forms of silicon available to growers now 
We have a potassium silicate in, the, in a product called Agvisil. There's other silicic acid type products, but they all do the same thing, really. You're trying to increase the level of silicon in the plant, which makes it resistant to so many things. Silicon, it doesn't really cure any one problem, but it just raises the plant's overall resistance and tolerance to so many factors, pests, diseases, drought stress, salinity stress, cold stress. So it really, you know, just gives you an overall lift to the, to the crop, really. And then there's a whole lot of other practices, you know, not just product-based, it's, it's sanitation. So don't, you know, by that we mean don't leave crop residues lying around that are full of disease. You know, if you've got a lot of diseased fruit from one season, don't leave it lying on the orchard floor to potentially, you know, spread that disease the next season. Building up populations of beneficial insects and beneficial microbes even. Again, if you compare it to human health, it's like us taking a probiotic. If you've got all those good bacteria and whatever going functioning correctly, you're just going to have less problems with, with disease-causing pathogens. So really, corrective spraying should be the last resort. I think that's my overall message is you know, look to all the other things first. And if you can get all those right, you should be able to get away with less corrective spraying and really treat corrective uh, spraying as a, as a last resort. You've just um, answered some of what I was going to ask in my next question. Do you have any advice or key points for farmers to consider when they're trying to find a balance to ensure optimal growth and performance in their crops or produce? I think my first bit of advice would be that there are no silver bullets. There's, you know, there's no miracle products out there. Generally, if something's claiming to be able to solve all the problems, then it's probably too good to be true. It really comes down to knowing your crop knowing the soil that you're working with, knowing the environment in which you're working, and then identifying, you know, what is it that the plant actually needs at each growth stage? And what could it be lacking in the particular environment that you're working in or the particular soil you're working in? You know, what are the specific limiting factors? And that can be done through, you know, soil testing or leaf analysis, or, you know, there's various methods available. Some of it's just from historical knowledge, you know, the grower will know from the the previous season or the season before that he has a certain problem at a certain time of year that he needs to look to address. And then it's really about just supporting the natural processes to working with nature, not against nature as much as possible. So as an example, we have some, some biostimulants that stimulate trichontinols. One example, it stimulates photosynthesis. And we have it in different formulations with or without micronutrients that also work towards you know, improving chlorophyll production and vegetative growth and photosynthesis. But it would be totally wrong to try and apply that product during the reproductive growth phase of the plant when the plant's actually trying to produce flowers and fruit and you're now st stimulating more, root, uh, you know, more leaf growth. So it's really about, you know, the timing becomes quite critical with these things and, and knowing what it is the plant needs. What is the plant doing? Is it putting its energy into root growth or leaf growth or flower and fruit production? And then just helping support those processes at that time. Thanks so much for joining us, Business Innovation Lead at Andamat Madumbi, Dr. Brendan Newman. Catch the next part of our chat with Dr. Newman in our Farmers Inside Track Weekend Edition. Next up, Vongani Shumba, a marketing and brand manager hailing from Limpopo, describes her as an entrepreneur at heart. Her compounded butter brand called My Butter is a testament to her love of gourmet cooking. Vongani, how did you start your business? Tell us a bit about your brand called My Butter. My name is Bongani Shumba, the founder and CEO of My Butter, a Limpopo girl who grew up in a location called Magwarara in Venda. I'm a marketing and brand manager and an entrepreneur at heart and passionate about anything food. 
My butter was birthed in 2016 from an idea that came from the love of gourmet cooking and experimenting with new recipes. It was in the experimentation process that I discovered an idea that soon became a gourmet brand. At my butter, we blend butter with fresh herbs, spices, roasted garlic, and we also add extra virgin olive oil to make our butter softer, making it easy to spread and not to burn quicker when frying. We use pure quality butter that has no preservatives or added colorants. My butter can be used as a flavor enhancer when frying, cooking, baking, roasting, spreading, or making sauces. Tell us a bit about how you process your products. It's not about the money. It's about doing that which makes me happy and doesn't feel like work. I'm at my happiest when I'm blending my butters, knowing that each product is going to make a difference in someone's food. And getting feedback from customers after they've tried the product, they send me pictures of the meals they've cooked with my butter and messages of how inspired they are to cook more and try out new recipes. That's what keeps me motivated. What keeps you inspired and what are some of the challenges that you've experienced? To find that which makes you happy. Because you will sleep less, earn less money, and work very hard. You must love whatever you decide to do. And when you find it, believe in it, be unique, stand out, be consistent, and always remember who you are doing that business for. Always put them first. Butter is a nice to have. It's not an innovative product that is trying to solve a problem or bring a solution to the ills that we're facing as a country or in the world, which is really a challenge when one is trying to access funding because companies tend to focus more on those type of businesses. Thanks, Duncan and Wungani Shumba, Limpopo Marketing and Brand Manager and founder of My Butter. Next up, Minister Toko Didiza has vowed to support 13 black-owned wine brands, currently trading from the new trading hub for black wine businesses. She described the new facility as a breakthrough moment in Mzanzi's wine industry. Now over to Food for Mzanzi journalist Sinesi Potom with an exclusive interview with Minister of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, Toko Didiza. So Minister Didiza, in your speech you spoke about how back in the day it was really, really hard for black people to own you know, farms, let alone wine farms and their own wine brands. What does this event mean to you? Actually, this is a milestone in my view because it's a journey that black brand owners have actually walked both with government, on their own, with the industry. And we're here today because a lot of partners have come together to ensure that we have this facility that can actually create a home for black brand owners. Now that you know more um, black wine owners are penetrating the wine industry, what does this mean for South Africa's agricultural sector? Well, it actually means growth, but it means inclusive growth because the share of the market that these certain brand owners are actually going to capture will start to reflect that inclusivity that we want to see. But more importantly, one of the things that government would have to look at is how do we support these brand owners but others to actually access even more markets to be able to grow. Now that you have supported these black wine owners in the Western Cape, do you see yourselves um, supporting similar initiatives like this that can contribute to the agricultural sector of South Africa? Actually, that's what we would like to see as part of the agriculture, agro-processing master plan. Because part of these long-term plans is to actually work together with industry, with workers, to say, how do we actually grow this industry? But what contributions do each one of us make to make sure that there can be expansion? Because as we know, 
there's actually resources that are required for any growth. So it is that that I'm hoping for, both in the master plans that have been done, like your poultry and sugar, that we are going to start to see such growth. But also, in the conclusion of the master plan, we're going to be able to actually see commitments that will come out from the industry, from government, from labor and communities on what is it that we need to do to actually grow our sector. For instance, if you look, a majority of black farmers in the former homelands are actually owners of assets that can actually realize much value if there is added support, like your livestock industry. If you look in the Eastern Cape, you look in Limpompo, there's tremendous assets that people have. You look at the Vembe district in Mopane, the fruit industry, and how do we then make sure that those farmers who are producing livestock, who are producing your fruits, who are producing your grains, become part of the bigger grain industry of the country and take advantage of the Africa continental free trade area. But those things are not going to happen just automatically not guided. We need a targeted approach like we are seeing in the wine industry on how we could actually give that support. But support for public institutions, not to be short-sighted when such institutions are facing some challenges, but our role as government, but also the industry, is to really protect and support those entities. Look at what ARC have been able to do. Beyond research, creating the home for these black brand owners. It's an innovative way in which we could use public facilities as enablers. Thanks, Inesipo Tom, and great having you with us, Minister of Agriculture, Land Reform and Rural Development, Tokudidiza. Now for our Book of the Week, as chosen by Farmers, The Science of Animal Agriculture, by Ray V. Heron. Terry Ann Brower's Food for Mzanzi Sinhalese Citizen Journalist of the Year reviews this book for us. Hi, Dawn and Duncan. The Science of Animal Agriculture is an extremely reader-friendly book. It provides a thorough introduction to basic science concepts involved in the production of agricultural animals. The author's objective is to clearly demonstrate how science and agriculture are intrinsically related by combining scientific principles with practical applications. This book includes topics like biological processes of agricultural animals, including reproduction, growth and development, as well as concerns associated with production such as nutrition and disease and even animal biotechnology. The author also discusses key issues such as animal welfare, consumer concern and environmental considerations, which will offer readers great insight into today's agricultural industry. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens, the COZA, or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Sounds like a must-read, terry now remember, if you like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own 
feel free to email us at info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, we now share our farmer tip of the week from David Fincham, the director of David Fincham Aquaculture in Gauteng. He joins us to share tips on how to get started. What a lot of people do is they try to set up a business without getting a full plan together. You know, and a lot of that business actually revolves around traditional business, marketing, selling, managing cash flows, raising money, and all of those aspects. And so one has to really have a, a very well-rounded business plan and skill set to be able to put onto a banker's table or a funder's table or an NGO's table to say, we want so much money to develop this project. And then obviously with the, the lack of aquaculture skills across the, the sector, you would have to engage with somebody who could certainly show you the ropes. Because if you don't understand the farming processes and the, how you control the environment and your feeding and your water flows and all of those things, the chances are that you lose a batch of fish. And once you lose a batch of fish, you're going to be set back by anything between four and six months. And that doesn't go well with people who funded your projects. So you really need to walk before you can run. And our farmer tip of the week from the director of David Fincham Aquaculture in Gauteng brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Foodform Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube. And of course, remember, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends family members and all the farmers you know. The Farmers Inside Track is available for free on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and of course also on foodformzanzi.co.za. But from me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludov, Terry Ann Browers and our producer Meegut van der Fendt and of course the rest of Team Food from Zanzi have a great week. What joins a continent but its continuous flow over mountains, through rivers, in the rhythm of the land. What ignites its future, but the promise to fulfill, to protect and grow, the very life of tomorrow. Corteva. Keep growing. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.